another episode of Small Council Radio. Uh, it's been a little while. Um, haven't really done a show, and uh, I mean, we we try to do a show every week, but uh, when was our last one? I want to say it was, I guess it was a, a week ago today, um, but it feels longer. Uh, I don't know about you guys. It, it feels like it's been two weeks since we did a, did a show. Um, currently just waiting on uh, Brett to jump in here. He's going to be on with me to talk about the recent CMON uh, song community chat that they do. Um, I don't think we've covered one before, but this one had a lot of awesome uh, news in it that we felt that uh, it would be good to discuss it, kind of unravel everything that was talked about. Um, I listened through it twice and wrote down notes. That way I got everything as accurate as I could get it. But for those of you that have not uh, listened to it yet, I highly suggest going and listening to it. It's about 50 minutes long, give or take. Um, and uh, you should be able to find it on the main page, uh, main Facebook page. If you don't, uh, it shouldn't be too far down the 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 feed and I would definitely go check that out you know the link will say that the video is ended but you can still click on it and listen to it and everything um, but like I said that you you'll get a ton of info and you know you'll get it straight from you know the horse's mouth and rather than hearing it from us uh, us covering it is more so to talk about um, you know not only kind of reiterate it but kind of give our thoughts on on everything that was discussed because uh, I think uh, alleviated a lot of people's biggest concerns. Um, uh, we'll talk about it, but you know, obviously it, it it didn't cover every last little thing because you know if you uh, if you take everyone's concerns between the entire community. There's just so much that, uh, you know, different people had problems with. Um, you know, some people had problems with, you know, let's say one unit and uh, other people had problems with another unit or NCU or attachment. But I think uh, even though they didn't touch on, you know, let's say everything, which I, I don't never would expect them to do, uh, I think they they covered a lot of great stuff in this, uh, in this show. So, I would definitely, again, I suggest going and watching it if you have not seen it already. Uh, for this one, we're going to kind of, again, reiterate it and just kind of give our opinions on it. Um, but before we jump into that, just because I, I don't know, I, I have this paranoia that I'm going to forget to shout it out at the end, um, I want to do one last shout out for the Gamers Haven Tournament in Ohio. Uh, it's on the... It's this Saturday, which I believe is the 6th. Yes, the 6th. Um, so definitely go try that out. Um, and, or, you know, go check that out. And you should be able to sign up uh, on a song of ice fire stats.com. So it looks like uh, Brett is on. Thank you so much uh, for coming on, Brett. Oh, it's uh, it's my pleasure. So, um, how's uh, how's my audio? Because normally we kind of check it beforehand. Uh, am I sounding good? Yeah, you sound fine. There's some static on my end, 
but it could just be my connection. If you're not hearing any static and I sound okay, then we're probably fine. Yeah, I don't hear nothing on my end. All right, that's good to hear. Um, so I guess we can kind of jump right into it. So my, we can go based off my notes, but um, anyone that did listen to the the um, the chat between Michael and Fabio, uh, you'll kind of my notes are in the exact order in which they talked about the, the subject. So at some points it may seem like jumping around a little bit, but for the most part it should be pretty uh, straightforward. Um, but with that said, I think uh, uh, oddly enough, the, for me personally, the thing I'm the most excited about talking talking about is the very first thing that they brought up, which is the starter boxes. Um, they had said how they're going to split the Lannister and Stark uh starter halves into their own boxes. Uh, they said everything is resculpted, but Mountainsmen and Outriders are being swapped out for other units uh, of obviously the same faction. Um, and But they did not say who. Uh, they said all the characters and everything, all that is all going to be the same, um, but it's going to be different art on all the cards, which is really cool. Um, they did mention how the the poses on the berserkers, the sworn sword guardsmen, and etc., are all going to be way more dynamic uh, because they had a lot of the earlier sculpts uh, or units, like the ones I just mentioned, were built with um, the intention that you'd be able to build the models. But once uh, they decided they were going to come pre-built, they the units after those became a lot more dynamic, kind of like the mountainsmen in their example. Um, What's uh what's your thought about uh this this whole part of the of their chat? Uh I think it's good um breaking away from that dual starter box. At the same time, I really did like the two player starter. Um because generally the idea is, you know, when you're getting into it you get yourself and one of your club mates in, one of you plays Starks, one of you plays Lannisters, and you're good to go. You know, you, you open up the box, you're ready to start playing against each other, and it's, it's a, it was a really cool thing. Uh, it worked out great. Um, on the downside to that, once more players started to get into it, you know, it, it became a little bit more difficult. I think probably just in general around the community, you've probably just got tons and tons and tons of unused, Dark Sworn Swords, unused Lannister Guardsmen, and things like this just because they came to the box. And at some point, people bought a Stark Lannister starter, didn't have somebody to give the Starks to because they already had them, and so they've just got a Stark army sitting up in their attic or something like this. And I guess that's coming a little bit from my experience because that's what happened with me. I ended up trading and, and doing stuff to get Lannister starter boxes from guys who wanted to play uh, – you know, that, that moved on from Stark and Lannister on the Night's Watch, so I would buy their initial player set. I ended up with, like, four of the Stark versus Lannister starters, so I just had a crap ton of Starks that I wasn't using, and <laughs> it's what inspired me to kind of take up Starks there for a little while. It was right after Gen Con I picked up Starks, and I was playing with them because I had an abundance of them in the attic, but then after the 1.5 changes happened, they became the most popular army, so I backed off of them and went to Night's Watch, and I guess history for our little group of people who know it, but at any rate, the single the single boxes is probably overall, it's, it's a good idea. Um, 
I think you paid a little bit more for the Stark versus Lannister box. Now you can just get into the game with your faction of choice and not have to pay that tax and worry about the logistics of selling the other half of the army that you're not going to use. So I really like it. Yeah, I think uh, it would to have the best of both worlds, it'd be awesome if they did create a new updated uh, Stark vs. Lannister uh, starter box uh, while still having the split boxes uh, and then maybe give a small discount uh, for this, uh, the dual starter. Uh, it may seem redundant, but like you're saying, there are cases where it'll be nice to have a friend and, you know, go in on the starter with them and both get into the game, get a little discount, you know, let's say what the, the normal starters are about a hundred bucks. I, I'm pretty sure if I recall, it's been a little while since I bought one. Um, and so let's say the dual starter could be like, I don't know, 160, uh, 170. So you're saving like 30, 40 bucks. If you buy the dual starter with your friend, um, now, granted, you know, with that said, you could run into the situation of both people are going to want gonna want to get those armies, but I think it, it doesn't really hurt to have it as an option. Um, but uh, I, I'm the most, I'm not necessarily excited for the fact that there'll be split starters. I'm excited for all the resculpts because, as a lot of people have. Uh, pointed out a long time ago it was always funny that the the stark bowman had no quivers uh for you know arguably you know for a while people were calling stark long bowman even though they aren't long bowmen they're just regular bowmen uh but they had this like idea in their mind especially when you compare them to like a crossbow that these guys are supposed to be the sit far back shoot you from from afar ignoring line of sight but yet they have no quiver uh so i'm almost positive that the new sculpts are going to have uh some quivers and they're going to look amazing uh now oh sorry with that said um i'm talking about bowman here and they didn't they're not in the starter i don't think yeah they're not in the starter so the reason I had that on my brain is I was going to ask you, Brett, uh, my guess for the two units that are going to uh, replace the Mountainsmen and the Stark Outriders are going to be the two range units, the Crossbowmen and the Bowmen. Mainly, my, my thoughts on that is mainly because they're both units that came out basically with the game as options to buy uh, separately in separate boxes that have older sculpts. Uh, that could definitely, you know, I think they look fine. But in all fairness to the rest of the factions and units that have come out, they're definitely the lower end of the spectrum for quality. So those those are my guesses. How about you? Do you agree or do you think maybe they they might stick something else in there? Um, you know, it's a possibility. But um, with the the way the game's expanded so much, they have a number of options. But uh, I would think, yeah, I don't, I don't think the ranged units would be a bad idea. Alternatively, for Lannisters, you could give them uh, the Knights of Castle Rock in that box because I think, for the most part, that's most people's first purchase outside of um, 
the hero's box is that, that first cab unit. Um, the crossbowman also isn't a bad idea. Starks have traditionally been a little bit more inventory heavy since the game started, so it would make sense to stick Stark Bowman in there. I, I like that idea. Um, with Lannisters, I think if you were going for a box to give them stuff that they would want to play, I think Knights could be a good option there. Um, it's, I'm sure it's not going to be Pyromancers or it won't be King's Guard <laughs> or anything like that. So I don't think there's a whole, whole, whole lot. Uh, they probably won't do Red Cloaks. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's, I guess, for my official guess, it would be Knights of Castle Rock, Crossbows, yeah, and just those two. Those are the only two that I would imagine. Uh, I can't see them sticking Warrior Sons, Pyromancers, Red Cloaks, more specialty units in there. So I, I think it'll be yeah. more of a traditional House Lannister unit that's more of like the, I call it, like the militia style of Lannisters. You know, you got the Halberdiers, the Guardsmen, the Knights. And uh, the crossbows are more of that militia, the true Lannisters. So that's my guess. Um, so I think uh, it'll definitely be interesting to see all the different sculpts, especially for the characters. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming the Jamie that we saw, or that model that we saw that looks like Jamie, is going to be the the sculpt um, in the starter box. Uh, and that, I mean, for me, my Starks are all uh, my Starks are all painted, other than a couple she bears and uh, a couple of the attachment box uh, attachments. Um, but you know, even with that said, I'll probably buy one starter just to get the extra sculpts and then get those painted up. And then I haven't painted my Lannisters yet, so it'll be nice. I'll get that, and you know, I'll be able to maybe sell one portion of my Lannister starter um, out to someone, you know, or even give it away because it's all, it's all primed, magnetized, and uh, like ready to go for anyone that wanted to paint it. Um, or if someone doesn't even care about painting, they have a, a nicely magnetized uh, army. But yeah, with that said, I'm super excited for all of the, all this stuff. Um, painting more Berserkers and Sworn Swords aren't uh, super uh, exciting to me because <laughs> I have five units of Berserkers painted and six of Sworn Swords painted. But um, if they look awesome, then I'm sure I'll, I'll be able to at least get one unit of each painted up just to have that variety uh, in there. Um, yeah, with that said, we can jump into some of uh, what I'm sure everyone else is kind of excited about. So Someone did ha ask the question if they had planned uh, plan any plans for any generic NCUs or commanders, um, and they did confirm that uh, uh, they have no plans. I won't say that they that there will there won't be any, but they pretty strongly said they have no plans on it, um, and that it was a request by George R. R. Martin, and it, they just the game is um, character driven. Um, that you know. This this part I'm implying in there is that um, you know the only thing generic is going to be your average foot soldier or like your average uh, commander you know as in like a, a sworn sword captain etc. Um, and 
to me, that makes a lot of sense, um, and I have no problem with it. There's so many characters in the book. Anything that would have been, quote-unquote, generic can just be some generic name in a book or in the books, um, and I think I'm totally fine with that. How about you? Okay, I'm sorry about that. I think I missed the overall idea and question. Just kind of summarize it. George R. R. Martin um, requested what? Oh, um, I was just mentioning that uh, someone had asked the question that uh, if there's any plans for generic NCUs or commanders and that Seaman uh, said they had no plans for it. And it was because, uh, one, George R. R. Martin requested there be no generic commanders or NCUs, but also because, um, you know, the game is character-driven and uh, that uh, the only thing that's pretty much going to stay generic as far as as far as we know, is going to be okay. your average yeah. foot, foot soldier and, uh, um, like, normal, like, captain guy, like a, captain, a sworn sword captain. Yep, gotcha. No, it makes no sense, and I, I would not like uh, generic commanders or generic NCUs. I would always want them to be a named character and someone of some significance from the lore, um, not just for myself. I, it, it adds some flavor for me. But um, for the, there's a lot of people that play this game for the lore and for the fluff side, and it would probably irk them pretty badly. Now, I watched the show and really enjoyed it. I'm going to make my way over to the book. So I imagine if I got into the books, it would really irk me as well um, to have generics. And I think they've done a really nice job with some of the thematic. For example, you will never have... Uh, call Drogo as an attachment, just as a generic attachment, because it wouldn't make sense for him to be following, like, Grey Worm into battle. It, it wouldn't happen. Uh, and it's the same thing for Tywin. I don't think you would ever see just a generic Tywin's unit attachment because it would be – it wouldn't make sense that, you know, someone else from, from uh, Castle Rock would lead Tywin into battle. And they've done a really nice job for that. Um, and I like what they've done with it. So I would really like to see them continue to do that. And I think, I think the NCUs are flavorful and their abilities generally work around what their character does. So I'd like to see them continue doing that. Yeah. And like you were saying about certain characters, never like, uh, like Drogo and Tywin ever following another person into battle. I think they've already kind of like unofficially have, mention that when it comes to um you know making the joke uh about Roos and Ramsey um how you can't run a Roos attachment for the fact that they didn't want a Ramsey led uh this is me kind of filling in the blanks based on other talks they've had talking about the stuff but um you know there not being a Roos option so that you can't run Ramsey commander with a Roos attachment cuz it wouldn't make much sense and and I get that. You know, there's enough, again, there's enough characters to where you don't need to make, let's say, a, a commander, an NCU, an attachment, and five more attachments all of the same character. Um, some characters you can do that that are vi- very diverse in the books. And that, For example, Jamie. Uh, I don't know if Jamie will ever get an NCU, but, you know, we've already seen Jamie has uh, four different versions. You're looking at uh, the commander. You're looking at the regular uh, young lion, I think the young lion uh, attachment. Um, 
you got the Kingslayer, which I believe is the commander. You got the Young Lion, which is the regular attachment. You have Maim Jamie, which is uh, an attachment you put on your opponent, and then you have Jamie uh, Kingsguard, which is another generic or not generic, but another uh, non-commander attachment. So you can definitely get very creative with the with characters while not um, you know putting them in a situation where it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, with that said, uh, I did want to mention that um, with the atta- or with the generic commanders or NCUs, um, you know, again, let's put it this way: that with this game, there isn't like a lot of options. Like, there, it's not like 40k where you can purchase this weapon and that weapon and this ability and this upgrade. You have your unit, and you can put attachments in them. So. It's not like if they had these generic commanders, like I know in my mindset when I would think about it, I would think, okay, we could have these cool generic commanders that I could pretend, you know, is like my guy that's coming through the ranks and this and that. But at what point can't you just, you know, let's say a sworn sword captain, alternate sculpt, uh, and then put him and say, okay, he's using all the rules of Eddard, but he is so-and-so. I mean, there's nothing really preventing you from doing that, but actually going out of your way to make generic commanders, in my opinion, wouldn't make a lot of sense because, again, you could just cre- uh, just pick a character from the books and then make that the what would have been the so-called generic commander, especially because with commander, you only have one of them. Um, and then if... Uh, and NCU, again, I mean, there's just so many characters in the book. What good would a generic, no-named person really do? Um, so I think uh, it makes a lot of sense for Simon to not really do um, generic uh, NCUs and commanders. Um, but that is, that does uh, bring up a good point that, you know, if you really do want to play with, let's say in particular, an NCU or a uh, uh, a generic commander that you can make your own. Someone could even make like a fan-made uh, campaign uh, where you know you get so much experience, and that experience will allow you to uh, you know take certain abilities on your commander, and you know you can rate the abilities based on their strength, and then you can swap abilities out um, from battle to battle or after you've gained so much experience. And so that way you could be like, you know what, Starks, uh, unless you want to take, let's say, Ramsey or like a neutral, so let's say you want to do pure Starks, but you have no way to take intimidating presence. Well, now you could do this like custom-made campaign where you could run like a generic commander and after you've gained so much experience, uh, and you could even make them um, like achievement-based like, the only way to get intimidating presence on your commander um, is to cause X amount of panic wounds uh, to, from your commander onto your opponent and so on and so forth. Uh, I think something like that could be really cool without really needing to incorporate it into the main part of the game. Um, all right, let's see. Next up we have... Um, so they did talk about how they were holding off on updates for card packs, um, but uh, they did say that they really can't wait anymore. Uh, I'm sure they really, I mean, I'm sure they could, and, but I'm sure they're referring to just the, the fact that um, 
they had mentioned that um, they were more interested in keeping the game balanced and uh, and not locking the balance of the game behind a product. Uh, you know, with that said, like with the card packs, because you know they they might be doing an update and we might only get the card packs like a month, like a couple weeks to a month or so on before the the first like set of updates hit, making X amount of cards uh, uh, useless. Now, whereas that is true, uh, I think most people would agree that um, doing it, just going ahead with the updates is just, in my opinion, far more important because they provide everything for free. All the Taxis cards, all the unit cards, NCUs, commanders, everything is all free either on their app to reference or there's any which way to print it off. And uh, with that said, you're not obligated to buy the card packs. The card packs are more just of a convenience for those that want the physical product. And then again, uh, another important thing to note is that you buy this card pack, I'm assuming it's $20. I forget what the actual price is. I'm pretty sure it's 20 give or take, at least U.S. dollar. Um, you know, whatever updates come out in this first set of updates, I, guarantee, I almost guarantee you it's not going to be that much in comparison to how much is going to be in these card packs. Because um, these card packs, you have to remember, are going to be fairly large in comparison to probably whatever card packs that come out within the future. Because these card packs are um, doing like a whole, I don't want to say revamp because I know like, I don't want like CMON to think like I'm saying this is 2.0, but I'm just saying that there are so many things that had at least a slight tweak that they needed a new card. Well, um, the amount of stuff that are probably going to come out in this first wave is only going to be a handful of cards in the entire card pack. Uh, getting to my main point is that the card packs are mostly still going to be relevant, especially the tactics decks. Uh, and I think we can all agree that, or at least most of us, that the tactics deck is actually the most important part in the card pack, or yeah, in the update card packs. Um, I think there's only so far that we know of, um, there's only one tactics card that's getting changed, and it's not even getting like fundamentally changed. It's just a typo, and they're going to fix it. Um, but it's it's already on the FAQ that they uh, release, or that you can find, uh, I think, through stats. Um, that expert parry uh, for um, what's his face for Targaryens, uh, Belwas. Uh, is just a misprinted card. So, um, yeah, with that said, you know, the card packs are mostly going to be uh, still usable uh, and still worth, you know, in my opinion, still worth the money, especially if you're only playing one faction. You know, it's, it's you know, 20 bucks is nothing compared to what a lot of other games expect you to do. And, again, this is all convenience. Uh, it's all, you know, they provide it all for free. And to get to the last part before I bring you on, uh, Brett, they they are in talks with certain, they didn't say who, uh, in talks with people to do print-on-demand. So that way you don't have to wait for card packs or anything like that. You'll have a way to uh, get your cards print-on-demand and just, you know, uh, get it done that way. So I think CMON's doing an awesome job just 
you know, trying to, I think, I feel like the way they're doing it right now, they're catering to everyone, everyone and anyone, you know, they're, they're giving us physical product. They're giving us updates. They're giving us ways to do it for free. If we don't want to spend that money. I mean, there's so many other games out there that you have to constantly pay for the new rules over and over and over. And they don't care who complains about it. They will just keep making you pay for new army books, rule books, uh, anything and everything under the sun. Um, and I think it's awesome what CMON is doing with uh, keeping the rules uh, free for this game. What about you, Brett? What are your thoughts on uh, the card packs and everything going on? Yeah, I mean, I think they're in a really difficult position. Um, I think either way they go, there's going to be some feeling that what they did was wrong. So I think they're doing the best that they can, and I think they're handling it well because, you know, and, and of course my opinion is going to differ from other people. You know, I I respect and appreciate a balanced game way more than I care about having the, uh, the you know, the official CMON printed cards. I don't mind print and play for the ones that change. Most of the time, I don't even use cards. Um, you know this. We've played. Anybody who's seen me play on stream, I don't. I have my tactics cards, and that's it. I don't use the unit cards. Gener- I mean, occasionally, I'll have to go reference the app if I'm maybe not 100% sure about my opponent's rules. But if there's something that I'm playing, I know the rules 100%. I know the profile, all of the unit's abilities, everything. I don't need cards. I don't need to use the app. Now, there are some people that, strictly you know play this game with the cards um john cash in the indie club for example is one of those you know he's holding out for the card packs because he wants to have the physical cards so i can respect both ways um there's really no right and wrong with that and i think simon's doing absolutely everything they can to keep everybody happy but ultimately at the end of the day i don't envy their job uh they being you know the development side uh, particularly Fabio and Michael, I don't envy them because they're in such a bad spot of you're darned if you do and you, you're darned if you don't. You know, If you leave the game in its current state, people are unhappy. If you change you know, and you release some different tactics cards or you release some different unit cards and updates and things like that, you know, before some people even have the 2021 card packs, people are going to be upset. So it's it's tough, and I think they're navigating it the best that they can, and I think ultimately they care about keeping the customer base happy. But uh, at the end of the day, as the developers, it's their it's their main goal, their main focus, and their main ambition is to give us a good game, a good game that's playable both casually and competitively. And they're not going to let the competitive scene rot, you know, for a year and a half, two years or whatever, just to, just because they just did an update. They're going to continue to make it almost like a living document, and they're going to address things as they come up. Yep, and I think that's, personally, that's the best way to do it. Um, you know, change it as you need it, especially if you're going to do um, free, free rules, free updates, uh, an awesome uh, app builder uh, with in my opinion, it's very well done. You know, it's it's pretty to look at is the best way I can say it. You know, there's a lot of builder apps that, you know, it's a lot of dead space and a lot of, you know, it's 
it's not as pretty to look at, I guess. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And that's not to say, you know, there's a lot of cool app builders out there, uh, especially, you know, when they're free. Um, uh, but it's just awesome when the company itself is doing it and prov- providing it for free. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that if it's if they're going to update it constantly and only update when they feel it's necessary, uh, it, it really will mitigate the amount of, uh, you know, I guess bad uh, bad instances where something someone believes is underused or over overpowered, um, you know, and and they'll do their best to to tweak things as needed. And like you said, Brett, we won't have to wait forever for a change to finally come because you know this type of gaming, you know, tabletop games, I guess games in general, but tabletop games, there's just so many to choose from. The last thing you want is to be stuck with a rule set or a certain type of of faction or unit that just makes the game completely unfun. It could be just one unit and one faction, but maybe that's the faction, the only person you get to play against plays. And so whereas someone who might play against a ton of different people might only encounter that thing that they don't find to be fun, you know, every so often. Some people might have to face it every single game they play. So I think uh, what Simon is doing is, in my opinion, the best thing they could do. Um, with that said, we can go to the actual updates that they kind of talked about and hinted at. Um, first, they wanted to uh, clarify that everything is subject to change and that the changes are more like tweaks than they are like big changes, uh, similar to when they're doing the updates with 1.3 through 1.6 versions of the game. So uh, so if you look back at those, you'll kind of see kind of how those things change. And I think also it's probably going to be similar in size too. So how how many things got changed in 1.3 through 1.6, this part I'm assuming, but... I'm assuming it's going to be these bite-sized, you know, updates that are going to be a lot more easy to take in than version 2021 was, uh, since so many things changed at least a little bit. You know, enough that you had to make sure to double-check the cards, but um, but these smaller tweaks and updates are definitely going to be a lot uh, easier to take in. Um, and then they also did mention um, – they didn't want to do too many change, uh, too many changes too fast uh, because they didn't want to like miss the mark. They didn't want to either do too many things all at once because um, you never know. Changing one unit could somehow, not that often, but changing one unit could somehow change another unit incidentally. So the last thing you want to do is change, you know, so many things so quickly without proper playtesting. Um, you know, some might be thinking, well, version 2021, they've changed so many things, but they had been playtesting a good chunk of 2021 before we ever even saw it. And who knows, like I've mentioned multiple times on the show, is that, uh, you know, the entire document got leaked. So who knows how much longer they would have been playtesting it before we would have seen everything uh, that came out. So, but uh, with this stuff, you know, they're trying to give us tweaks that they've play tested um, that they think is fair. But they want to give us, like I said, the bite those bite-sized updates to help us along the way through this 
through this game. Uh, and they can't do huge updates without lots of playtesting. Lots of playtesting require lots of time. So that's why I think they're doing these more bite-sized ones so that they can hyper-focus in the playtesting of these changes so that they can feel comfortable in releasing the updates. So that's why they, they were talking about how they didn't want to do too many changes too fast with these more bite-sized uh, updates to come and that they want to try to get them out. Um, their goal is every 6 to 12 months, and I think I think that number will just depend on how many changes because I don't think they're going to want to be like, okay, we have one unit, nothing else to release right now. I think they might hold off on releasing it until they got a couple more changes. And so I think that's what might change whether or not it's closer to six or 12 months. Again, this, this part is just speculation on my part, but uh, I did want to mention it. Um, but jumping right into it, uh, very first thing they jump into, which uh, you know, was they went with Starks, and they they mentioned that Sansa and Arya are getting buffs. Uh, they did not say how, um, but uh, I did want to spend this part um, kind of speculating what we think it might be that might be helpful, it might not. I know some some of our uh, I would say our viewers are kind of fifty fifty when they like uh, about hearing our thoughts on what it might be. Um, Personally, personally, I don't know what they'll do with Sansa. Uh, Arya, though, I'm thinking maybe they might uh, make her like her ability twice. Like she'll have two orders and she'll be able to do her thing twice. Um, what about you, Brett? Uh, whether it be kind of the whole um, too many changes or just maybe straight to your thoughts on uh, uh, Arya and Sansa. Mm. Honestly, I think the very original version of Sansa was probably, um, I don't think they'll go back to a trigger of any time uh, after cleaning up the trigger so well and, uh, you know, taking care of some of that type of stuff to prevent argument. You won't see an any time trigger again. I think the other any time trigger was uh, adaptive methods with neutrals, and that has been changed. It's no longer any time, right? Yeah, really if, I'm, if, I, if I recall, there's no longer any instance of any time in the game anymore. Yeah. So they wouldn't do that with Sansa. So. It's hard for me to say. Um, I don't really know. I think, they, I think their buffs could just be subtle. Oh, excuse me. Um, they could do something with Arya, like um, something like they do with Windermere, where she starts the game with one order token. The order token is for a shift, and uh, Windermere can heal and do a shift, right? Uh, no, heal it, it, no, uh, heal two, draw one shift, card. Yep. Or shift three. They could do something similar for Arya where she starts with one and you can zone replace to get another one. Uh, Starks really need mobility, so I could maybe see, you know, Arya starts the game with one order token and she can replace the zone at any time with add another order token and then it's the shift, and then it's the maneuver or retreat, but she has to replace the zone to replenish that effect. It's a little bit less flexible than Windermere, 
um, because it doesn't have two options, but it could be really powerful and it would be really cool. Um, but I just don't know. Um, I'm not crazy about guessing things like this because um, they can just <laughs> – there's just so many directions they can go. They could decide to make her, you know, something totally different. Her line is always do what they never expect or something like that, and there's any number of things that, that you could do to make that work. Um, so they've got a lot of flexibility with creativity for it, but it's good that they're getting a little bit of a buff because I think they're just a little bit under the mark for four points right now. Yeah. One thing that would be kind of cool to see Sansa, like if it was similar to, like you were saying, Wendemir, she could start with like one order on her and then she could replace a zone to get another order, but it could just be start of the turn, pick any card in your discard pile and shuffle it back into your deck. That way, you know, you're not, constantly being able to just say, oh, I'm getting this card over and over and over right to my hand, but you are saying that you're shuffling it back in, you have the chance to draw it again and then use it again, and then Sansa shuffle it back in. So you have that chance, but um, I think that would be something kind of cool. Maybe not not even Sansa, but something later on down the line that allows you to shuffle discarded cards back into your deck um, somehow. Um, next uh, thing they had talked about, uh, Lannisters. Some of their attachments are getting tweaks to their abilities and points. Um, they left that one kind of vague. Um, so they made it sound like uh, if they're not getting a point reduction, they're getting an ability tweak. They did, as far as I remember, they didn't say anything about anyone getting a point increase. Um, next, uh, they talked about crossbowmen. Uh, their words were they were getting some love and attention, which is nice to hear. Um, the more I play with them, when compared to a lot of the other range units, I, I do. Uh, I mean, the only thing that ever brings has me bring them over, uh, or has me kind of tempted to bring them is that sundering. But um, more often than not, I just I want, I'll take stormcrow archers over them the more I play with them. I was okay with them at first um, when we talked about them, but the more I, I feel like they're just lacking on something small. So it's nice to hear that they're going to give them some sort of attention because I think crossbowmen are at that spot where they just need the small little something. So if they're giving them anything, then I can only imagine that they're going to bring crossbowmen right back to that uh, desirable uh, choice again. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of with you. Um, the other the other hiccup for crossbowmen in a Lannister army is um, you've got Red Cloak, who, you know, you want to bring a long range unit so that you can target something from far away and soften it up before you send in like your heavy cav or your other finisher unit. Well, you've got Red Cloaks that can, you know, granted it's a panic test and it's all or nothing, but you've got Red Cloaks that can fill that role pretty nicely. So. Um, the Stormcrow archers are really, really good, um, but they rely on zones. So uh, I don't think the Lannister crossbowmen need much to be a lot better. So we'll we'll see what they do. Um, could be more attack dice. Could be 
going back to three plus a hit. I think either way, it kind of ends up being the same if they went seven seven five on a four plus with the potential to reroll in short range, or six six four on three plus with the potential to reroll in short range. It's pretty darn close, so um, they could address it either either way with with them. Yeah, I think uh yeah. Now, they're they're right on that cusp that a little bit of, you know, anything could really bring them bring them right back in line to where they need to be. Um what that is, uh we'll just kind of have to wait and see. Um as far as attachments, I don't even know what what they could really do uh for the fact that the Lannisters have the like in my opinion like the best named attachments in the game um and uh way up there in generic attachments as well i would say the only one right off the bat i would say has better generic attachments is starks but in context and uh, with their army or with like their units they can go in i think lannisters have like the best attachments out there so i'm surprised that they even need to tweak them at all um, cause I, other than maybe, um, uh, forget his name, the guy who gives taunt, the enforcer, uh, I, I find myself using just about all of the attachments in, in the Lannister arsenal. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that stuff. Um, they did mention, uh, Knights of Castle Rock, but in more specific, they said the Lance uh, ability was getting changed. They didn't say how, but this will affect all um, units with the Lance ability. So, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Brett, I'm pretty sure it's just the Cavaliers and the Knights of Castle Rock and then potentially um, the Riders of Highgarden, because we saw on, on the models uh, that were released, or not really, I don't know if it was leaked or revealed, whatever the case may be, we did see that they had very, uh, like lances or lance-type weapons. So, I mean, we don't even know their rules yet, but we'll, I'm assuming if they aren't already changed to whatever the new lance ability will be, that they'll have whatever whatever they end up changing to, um, which would be interesting to kind of see what it is. Uh, they mentioned how they wanted to make... Um, they said that the Sundering was still going to stay all the time, that it was going to be more desirable to get your charge off. Um, so I'm just curious what it'll be, because um, I, I want to say that the Cav, the Cav are right where they need to be. Um, they're so good already as, as is, because um, they implied that it was going to be stronger or yeah, more desirable to charge. But I already feel like it's it's great on the charge. Um, I think it's just when in com- when in comparison to Flademan, which are like the best eight point cav unit you can take in my opinion, and they're neutral, so everyone but free folk are going to take them. Um, so I, I don't necessarily feel like the problem is with the Cavaliers or the Knights of Castle Rock. I think. Uh, I think the flayed men are just too desirable. Um, and that's not to say that these two units are never taken. I, I see them taken all the time. I think, uh, was it um, Cyrus who had a unit of Castle Rock, and, nice Castle Rock and a flayed men because he wanted um, 
one of each for his strategy. I, I forget what it was. Yeah. Yeah, it's Cyrus. Yeah. He, so, he likes one of each. And uh, Richard, uh, in line, Richard from uh, Canada is also running lists with one of each. And I think there's definitely merit to having one of each. They're definitely different roles. One does damage by panic, and one has thundering all of the time. So. Yep. Yeah, so... I don't know. It'll it'll be interesting to see what they kind of do with the lance ability because I think uh, I think the lance cav are right where they need to be. They they pack a punch, but they're not you know they're not like they were in one point six where you could potentially one shot things with a with a really good uh, charge. Um, they did mention that not many abilities, uh, mostly point costs. Um, for or sorry, this is for Night's Watch. I forgot to put that in my notes. Um, for Night's Watch, um, mostly they're uh, no wait. I should probably label my notes a bit better. Um, not everything's positive. They they are going to have some lateral changes for uh, um, for Lannisters. Uh, and not many not many abilities. It's going to be a lot of point stuff, um, but that's not to say it's going to all be points. There are going to be some abilities in there that are going to be changed. Um, next up, we have giants. They did mention that um, they're getting an upper. That's uh, Fabio's uh, uh, wordage verbiage he used. Um, they're going to get more attack and sustain, and that they're 90% sure that they are going to get uh, vicious on their attack. Um, the more game now that Walder no longer shuts off Giants um, with the 1.6 Walder, I've played Giants as is, and I think they're just fine. Um, so I, I'm surprised to see them getting better, but maybe that's just me, Brett. Uh, how how is uh, how has it been for you? Like seeing uh, Giants, uh, are they not that popular or? They're not. They're not really very. I mean, they're not overly popular. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything because up until a month ago, you know, nobody was really running Lannister Guard. But that doesn't mean that Lannister Guard were ever bad. Um, it's just a meta thing. Um, it's. It can be a double-edged sword. I like you know, the ability to spread lists and talk about the game and, and things like this. But sometimes um, sometimes more prominent voices can really psych people out of even trying things out. I think Giants are really good now. So they're, they're really good. They're not over the top. They're not super weak. I hope that they proceed with a little bit of caution with these guys um, because I know in the 1.6 version when they went up to six wounds kind of capped how much damage they can take from panic, which carried over and they based them D three plus two wounds. And then you gained a wound for each rank. Um, they became something that either the person playing against the giant was happy because they pulled off a combo and one shotted them or the person playing against the giant was sad because they pulled off a combo and they almost one-shotted them. And, and then they got <laughs> smashed for like 10 wounds. Or In my case, I took I, I 
charged a giant with sworn brothers, made them vulnerable with ranger trackers, and then I attacked a second time. Uh, I can't remember if it was Watches Ended or something else, but I attacked the giant with 20 Sworn Brother attacks, and it was vulnerable both times. And then I even rear-charged Ghost to try to get the last wound off of it, and I left <laughs> it at one wound left, and he went stire to the swords at the start of the round and literally just one-shotted my whole unit of Sworn Brothers. And it was such a feel-bad it was such a bad, such a bad moment for me. Like I did everything I felt was right. I threw my most combat-oriented unit into him. You know, twenty attacks, sundering, uh, sundering critical blows, and vulnerable both times. I thought for sure that the giant would die, and it just didn't. And then I lost my best unit, and yeah, it was bad. And then there was a very angry giant. I'm pretty sure he ended up killing Ghost as well. And then yeah basically just rampaged so i i hope they exercise a little bit of caution um i think vicious makes sense i mean you're getting smacked with a gigantic tree or whatever the hell the giant's carrying <laughs> so um yeah i just hope that they're i just hope they're a little bit cautious because auto wounds are definitely not as prominent as they were in 1.6 and getting into a sustained grind with a giant the way that the giant's rules are, if you're if you're needing three attacks to bring a giant down, I think you're pretty screwed. Um, so we'll have to see yeah. what they do. But I hope it's I hope it's not I hope it's not anything crazy where you have to deal with him and then there's gonna be some feels bad moments where you try and you get punished for playing the game. <laughs> and the giant destroys <laughs> you know, your 10-point unit or whatever the case may be. So we'll have to see. All right. Then they uh, they said then Warriors are going to get uh, uh, a modified hold the line so that it combos with taunt. Um, my guess is this part was confusing listening to it, so um, maybe some, uh, some of the people listening in can uh, comment uh, and you know, let me know if they understood it a bit better. But my understanding was that they're going to get probably a similar version of uh, hold the line from um, back when it was like an order that gave you plus one hit, plus two dice. My guess is it's going to be an order and get some sort of buff, but not necessarily that buff. So it'll, I don't know, it might just even be plus one to hit, plus one die. I don't know who... But I'm, I'm sure it's similar to that because they did make it sound like it's not uh, a hold the line that we know of. Uh, Michael just liked the name and he wanted something to taunt with or to combo with taunt. Um, so we'll have to see how that is. I really liked the Warriors and I think when they gave him unyielding, definitely made him a lot more tempting and it put him right, right up there, but still kind of the weakest of all the options. But um, Definitely, I, I like to feel them with uh, my commander. Um, they also said some point reductions on some free folk attachments. Um, only ones I could even possibly think of is really maybe Egret and Tormund. Um, and that's about it, because I think all the rest are really fair. Um, but I could be wrong. And they mentioned how they didn't want to go too crazy on it, because you do have raiders who have adapt. You know, they didn't want to they factor that in um and uh going into night's watch i know this is uh brett's favorite topic um 
They have lots of lateral changes in some nerfs. Um, they're limiting Jora NCU. Um, they did mention how there's a lot of a lot of things that aren't going to change, but that's because they're they're looking at the things that are um, like the combo pieces, kind of like the glue. Uh, making the Night's Watch kind of tick, and they're looking at those pieces. Uh, I think I think uh, this is just my speculation on this part, but I think that's because there's so many complaints for so many different things within Night's Watch. I think Simon's probably trying to take the route that requires the least number of changes, uh, and that's to do as they're saying and find the, the, the key pieces kind of... Um, connecting everything together, making them as strong as they are. Um, and then uh, they said Ranger Trackers are getting a buff, and Relentless is going to be melee attack only or maneuver rather than any attack or maneuver. Um, for those that are unaware of the name of the ability, Relentless is the, what's on the Watch Captain, um, the Unsullied Officer, and uh, Victorian uh, Commander or not commander, sorry, uh, three-point attachment. Um, so Relentless is going to change across the board for anyone that has Relentless. It'll go to melee only. Um, personally, I think it only really mattered for Night's Watch. Uh, I don't think uh, many people were running Victorian and any ranged units uh, for that ranged attack. Neither were they using the Unsullied Officer. So um, Ranger Trackers, I'm a little surprised about. Um, personally, I think Ranger Trackers are fair at seven points. Um, I think it's just when you look at how good the other seven-point options are, that is why they are the least, I guess, desirable of all the seven-point units that Night's Watch has to offer. Um, but yeah, what, uh, what are your thoughts about all the Night's Watch stuff, Brett? Yeah, until you look at South Rocky Outriders and then then you look at Ranger Trackers and you're probably a little bit sad. It's kind of the opposite <laughs> of it's kind of the opposite of what they were in one point six, but even then I didn't think the one point six version of uh Outriders were bad at all. I loved Nimble. Um they were just a finesse unit and a lot of people never really got a feel for how to use them, but um I used them. They were my they were my favorite. Um you know, besides South Rocky Veterans in 1.6, I absolutely loved their old version. But that said, Ranger Hunters at six at seven points, excuse me, with the Outriders being at six, when you compare, you know, and I know you're not supposed to compare cross-faction. I know this. I understand that. When you compare, you know, what you get out of um, Screamers with Earth, dang it, Outriders with Outrider Co. <laughs> at seven points versus Ranger Trackers, the Ranger Trackers enable damage with the Vulnerable Token, but the uh, Outriders become long-range, and then they're minus one to hit. So they're already misleadingly tanky with a 5+, five 5+. Plus, five plus. I've been playing Dothraki. A lot of times I just put my Outriders out there because I just I don't care. If I get two shots off with them and then you charge them, I just don't care because you're not going to one-shot them, and then you're stuck in my unit of archers and then you're getting flanked by the rest of my army and it's just so weird for 
a six-point unit to be that tanky, but that's not the subject at hand. Um, I would be interested to see what they do for Ranger trackers. I don't think they would go the route of just giving them the long-range attack because that's what sets the Outriders apart. Um, I don't know. It could be interesting. Um, I don't know what they need. Uh, honestly, I would be happy if their melee profile back to even a four plus to hit, because what I did with Ranger trackers a lot in 1.6 was just use them to intercept and tie up the scary stuff. Uh, they are nowhere near as tanky being when they were a five plus six plus, uh, that plus one to morale actually makes a bigger difference than, than you think. Uh, but you could charge them in and, you know, intercept Lance cavalry or, Flayed men or something like this and just kind of tank them long enough for your army to do what it needs to do because they are fast. So I don't know. I'd like to see their, their melee profile go back to the, I think it was six, five, three or something before a six, five, four on a four plus is pretty fair. They are still Rangers. They're going to be somewhat trained in combat. So it would be cool for me if they got a decent melee attack. Uh, and then I could use them for what I used them for before. Um, and then as far as Night's Watch goes, I, I hope that they're going uh, the route of a little bit of caution with this one because it's, it's another case of, you know, you've just got a little tiny things at a time. You don't want to go completely upend everything they do and just completely dismantle everything because, yes, they're, they're the best faction right now, but at the same time, you always have to consider – when you make changes, I hate using the term nerf, and I think Michael hates that term as well. Um, when you reevaluate or repurpose a unit or re restat a unit or however you want to put it, you have to always be cautious about what that unit was gatekeeping before. So you have to be cautious about what, uh, say, for example, uh, taking Relentless off of ranged. So um, now you've got the crossbows that are nowhere near as effective as, you know, zone controlling other stuff. So what what kind of stuff in the game was really, really good except for against Nightwatch? And then how good is it going to, is it going to be when it doesn't have those crossbows to hunt them down? One thing in particular that comes to mind is uh, Free Folk are definitely gaining some steam and some traction right now. And I think one of their... I mean, Nightwatch crossbow build is like the ultimate Free Folk Predator. So how strong is Free Folk going to be when they can build a list at will without having to account for double crossbows? I don't know. We'll see. You know, those are the type of things. That's what makes a balance patch so hard and why so much work has to go in it because you can't just look and say, okay, well, Nightwatch is too strong, so we'll bring Nightwatch down because then what's rising up to the top ahead of Nightwatch and are they going to be a bigger problem because what what power builds are you enabling by removing their predator? It's kind of like an ecosystem, and I, I always reference that. You know, uh, if you take away one predator, what overruns the rest of the ecosystem? And that's, that's kind of something they always have to be cautious with. So, I, again, I don't envy them at all. I don't envy their job. It's, it's, it's really difficult. Uh, they're... In a lot of ways, they're screwed no matter what they do. So it is what it is. Yeah, and I think uh, I think if they're going to bust the Ranger Trackers, and now that Crossbowmen, uh, the Night's Watch Crossbowmen, can't take the Night's Watch uh, 
the watch captain for that extra ranged attack. I think you're going to see a lot more uh, Night's Watch players replace those crossbowmen with with the trackers. Um, I don't think it's going to be. I'm not going as far as to say that uh, crossbowmen are just not going to be usable anymore, and that trackers are just going to blow them out of the water. I'm just saying that you're you're going to see a lot of people with that in mind go with the more maneuverable uh, supporty option um, rather than the more slower moving um, crossbowmen um, that kind of have to sit back. Granted, you know, you get that um, overwatch or whatever it's called, the ready aim release, but, uh, you know, it's just different roles. And I think a nice watch player is going to want to be more aggressive. And I think the trackers are going to be more desirable in that case. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, Greyjoys and neutrals. Uh, they said not much changing. They didn't give any any real examples. They just kind of said that they're both um, kind of in the best spots. Uh, they did hint at the fact that they will have something change. If I were to put it into my own uh, interpretation, is you're going to see like two things get a change. You know, um, for me, I hope for neutrals. That's really just flayed men. Uh, I think they're just just a notch too good, you know, because um, you know, you're seeing them everywhere. You're seeing them in every faction that can take them. Um, Greyjoys, uh, I've mentioned this before. The only thing I can really think of that I w- hope they change is uh, the Reavers' attack profile is 764. Um, the Silencemen and Reapers are 754. I hope that the Reavers go to 754 and the Silencemen and Reapers go to 764. Um, I mean, the the reader, Raiders are, um, sorry, the Reavers are five points, and you're looking at six points and seven points for the Reapers and Silencemen. Um, so I think that would be a, a reasonable change uh, for that, and it's very, very minimal, but I think, think it makes sense because um, the... Um, the Raiders are, I keep calling them Raiders, the Reavers are so good at five points, it kind of makes, uh, even though they're different roles, for me, um, it just makes the Reapers and the Silence Men just kind of priced out for the fact of how poten- how much potential their Reavers have. So I think that small little change of the dice just on second rank for each of them, I think would be, would be amazing. Um, how about you? Any thoughts on Greyjoys or Neutrals before we move to Targaryens? I think Greyjoys uh, and Lannisters, in my opinion, are probably the two most balanced factions that you see. Uh, they're definitely capable of winning, even at the competitive level, but they're not so crazy over the top or so crazy underperforming. So if they take if they model, you know, sort of off of what they've done with those two factions where they do things really well, but they're not like just ridiculously crazy good. That would be great. Um, I don't think Greyjoy's really, I don't think really much needs changed. Um, outside of Balon NCU, who I really tried to make him work with, um, I guess it's being called the uh, the Victorian Suicide Suicide Squad. 
where you basically purposely get Victorian killed. Victorian's attachment, you get him killed in a round, and you take down as much as you can, and then you use Balon to bring him back in that same round so that you don't lose out on the activation, and you can trigger Relentless a second time if you played it right. Um, Balon is great. He's really powerful. My only hiccup I have with Balon is um, his ability hinging on his activation because, and I say that because it really gets dunked on by field control, uh, wildling diplomacy, um, and intrigue and subterfuge in order for that plan to work. Now, I, I know there should be some counters to it, um, car, you know, effects that are that, that powerful. But I guess the feels bad for me is that Balon, you pay five points for the NCU, that's his only ability, and he's actually not even as good as um, the Endless Horde, which is two tactics cards in the Free Folk deck they don't have to pay any opportunity cost for. So I'm not really sure how you would do it, but it would be nice if Balon just wasn't so easy to hard counter. Um, if you're playing Lannisters, for example, you can get rid of, you can basically take Balon's ability out of the game by holding your intrigue. And if you intrigue him in like round three or four, and he can't bring the unit back until round five, they can't activate until round six, he's basically useless. So um, other than that, I really like the Greyjoys. I don't think they need much. Neutral units are in a really good place. I just still feel like there has to be, for neutrals to be really competitive, which their units are good enough to make them competitive, and their deck is actually not bad. Their deck is really good. Um, I think it's just something really simple, like some kind of bonus for an all-neutral army. And it could even be something as simple as Varus costs four points when he's in an all-neutral army. This way you can run Roos, commander and you're not you know uh stuck with only walter Frey, tycho and peter baelish as uh three four point ncus so i think something even that subtle just changing varus to four points in an all neutral army is a really nice boost for them and i think it immediately makes them really competitive because right now as you mentioned their best unit is available to almost everybody I don't think nerfing Slademen is the route to go because that ultimately hurts neutrals more than anybody. So um, just some tiny little buff for a neutral-only faction. Yeah, I, I'll go back to what I had said a long time ago with neutrals. I would love to see um, if you do uh, entire... Um, themed lists if you get a that you would get a buff so if your entire uh, force has all house bolton and that would include any affiliation so if you have you know a unit of um uh we'll say dervishes but you're running roost in there i don't know why you do that but let's just say it um and they would count as bolton and then you run ramsey um two-point attachment and something to make them bolt in. So that stuff would still count. You'll get, like, some sort of army-wide buff, um, you know, whether it be plus one morale to everything or this, that. And the buff could be different based on whatever sub-house you're doing, whether it be Bolton, Stormcrow, or Bloody Mummer. Um, 
I think that would be, in my opinion, the best way to not um, have to mess with points and not have to tweak based on other factions because now other than the tactics deck itself, um, you have another way to say, okay, I'm limited to only these neutral options, but I'm going to get a slightly better unit if I stay themed. Um, so we'll have to see. Uh, I, I love playing neutrals. I think they're they're awesome. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what uh, they have in store for them. Um, all right, on to, I think, the, oh, they have two more factions. We got Targaryens. Minor changes to dragons. Uh, already mentioned it, but they're correcting expert uh, expert parry and uh, swordmasters getting a tweak or a point reduction. So it'll be interesting what they see to both of those. I think I'm glad to hear about the swordmasters, as we mentioned in our other show uh, talking about uh, Targaryens, is that pikemen are just they're just better. Um, you know, point for point, they're just way better. Uh, sword masters, you have to do like very specific things, but at eight points, it's a big investment for a unit that is very uh, killable. <laughs> you know, I believe they're a four up save. I mean, they have a good morale, but a four up save, so you charge into them with a good amount of attack dice and vulnerable them. And I mean, you could kind of take them out of the fight uh, pretty early. Um, especially if you're able to attack them twice somehow, whether it be the free attack zone or whatever. Um, so it'll be cool to see what they do with them, even if it is a... I don't know if they could do a straight-up point reduction. I think them as is at seven points might be a little too much, but we'll we'll see. Dragons, um, as long as those changes are uh, like a nerf, and I don't mean like straight-up nerf them into the ground, but uh, maybe a small tweak... Um, you know, for the worst, I guess, you know, without using the word nerf, you know, something, bring them down a notch. Uh, what are your thoughts, Britt, about the Swordmasters and Dragons? No, I, I think Michael's right. Um, the Swordmasters are crazy good and crazy offensive. Um, they are, as far as I know, and I'm pretty sure that I'm positive. They're the only unit that starts with eight attack dice. And then they have the least degradation of any unit. They're eight, seven, six. So they're definitely really potent. Uh, they're always re-rolling. You can't weaken them when they attack, and they always have precision. So they've definitely got the capability of being a wrecking ball. Um, now he mentioned some tweaks or some adjustments or some something. Um I guess, you know, I, I think they wanted to avoid uh, the old the old unyielding, they couldn't gain any condition tokens, right? Uh, I forget what the I name think, of the ability was, but, um, yeah, yeah I, they I couldn't. It was unyielding. They couldn't get any condition tokens. Right, that was Stannis had that, and then the Unsullied had it in 1.6. So I think, I think that could... I mean, at the eight-point mark, that could really, you know, buff them up to, to their value. You know, you can't make them vulnerable. You can't make them panic. You can't make them weakened. Um, I think just even that alone would probably be a really nice way of 
you know, just a, a subtle buff to them. They're still a four-plus defense. They're still capable of being brought down by multiple attacks. But I think without the vulnerable tokens, you'd get some value out of them because they did a lot to remove one-shotting from this game. They really did a lot. They they helped with it a lot. But it still exists in some form. I mean, in some forms. Um, I mean, man, like even just Raiders with – Raid Leader and Skyer NCU borrowing coordinated tactics can do 11 hits with Thundering. I mean, that's enough <laughs> for that four-point unit to just body check uh, a hyper-elite unit. Uh, I, I, I kind of dislike that, but that's another subject entirely. Um, but I think <laughs> a lot of this... I think a lot of the problem with Unsullied Swordmasters is that they're victimized by the prominence of Warcry and some other effects that just generate condition tokens so easily, vulnerable tokens and stuff. So if they were unable to be made vulnerable, I think it would be a really nice fix for them. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have to see, because uh, I'll, I'll be excited to start using them more. Um, all right, last faction up, uh, Brassians. So they said they're going to change order to the last um, to be a bit better. So um, they did not say exactly how, um, but it'll, they said it would definitely be better, um, which is nice to hear. Um, Champions of the Stag are going to get more sustain um, and utility. Um, some attachments are getting looked at. I'm assuming uh, Devin is probably at the top of that list. That's just an assumption, but... Um, you know, Devin has some pretty cool stuff, but just quite frankly, he's just not taken. Um, you know, he definitely, you know, that auto charge is definitely awesome, but it just, it's not, a lot of people just don't find it that useful. It's kind of like with uh, with the least used thing out of everything for Greyjoys right now for me is Theon Attachment. Um, and that's just because that, you know, two points for that because you're taking wounds. Um it feels like a trade-off more than it is like a straight-up buff. Um, so that's my that's my guess for one attachment that's getting looked at. They said Shalice uh, and Shireen um, that they're getting looked at, but there is a possibility that they might not be changed, um, but they are being looked at. Um, so I don't know. For me... I'm the most excited about order, uh, orders, the order to the last, um, and Shalice and Shireen. Um, some attachments, I suppose, as well. Champions of Stag, though, is one I was a little surprised about. Um, again, that might be because a lot of people just value the Flademen way better. Um, I've always had the mindset that if I'm playing Stannis, I'm going to run Flademen. If I'm running Renly, I'm going to run uh, Champions of the Stag. But that's just me. Uh, I think they're great um, as they are. But um, I guess a lot of uh, if they're looking at them, it must mean must mean that a lot of people uh, don't agree. What are your thoughts, Brett? I know you've been playing um, a handful of uh, Baratheon stuff lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the problem with the current champions of the stag, the two plus defense is really really good. Um, the six plus morale gives gives opponents some way of dealing with them. But again, they're they're a little bit of a victim of war cry. 
Um, you get Thundering and a Vulnerable token, they start to die pretty quickly, uh, particularly when a Panic token on them can reliably make them take two to three wounds, uh, sometimes more depending on what's playing. And I think then the other issue, again, in this, in this case, it's not just free folk that I'm going to pick on, but I am going to specifically mention that something like Raiders with Torment could charge champions of the stag last activation after the champions get into position and they will probably sit there the whole game maybe three rounds but they're just going to sit there you're not going to chew through that unit even a regular unit of raiders with just like a raid leader uh, it's going to take probably two rounds to get rid of them with champions of the stag um they're a little bit slow. It's hard for them to always get the charge. They're eight points, so it kind of makes you shift stuff around in your list. So they could use a little bit more of a punch in the sustain fight because they don't have any of these other passive abilities. Um, you know, and I don't think that the Raiders would kill them either, uh, but, you know, spear wipes flanking them would. <laughs> but, um, then it's it's not just them either, you know. I, I've been playing around with Targaryens a lot, and I already mentioned Outriders. I'll just put my Outriders in your face. I think your champions of Stag will have a really hard time shifting my Outriders, even if I tie you up for two or three rounds. Uh, you know, that's a win for me. Um, if I've got Screamers and I've got Illyrio NCU, I will charge your champions of the Stag, and I can basically assure you that without support, your champions of the stag will never kill my screamers. They will sit there the entire game, and my six points took away your eight points. You know, it's stuff like that that is problematic for champions of the stag. That makes them a little bit on the weaker end. So um, I guess that's, that's, that's where I stand on it. They just, they're good. They're tanky. If you can get them in a spot where you're tanking their best unit, it's kind of a good exchange, but for the most part, what I find is, you know, throw your Lannister Guardsmen at them, throw your Free Folk Raiders at them, throw your Screamers at them, throw whatever at them and make them chew on that for a long time, and it just takes them out of the game. It's around four or five before they free themselves up, and everything else that matters has already happened. Yeah, it'll be interesting, because um, unless you have that panic damage, um, they can be pretty tanky. Um, but, yeah, as, as you were mentioning, Warcry can be their worst enemy. You know, it's um, their morale is just enough that they're susceptible to that um, vicious and panic token. You know, it takes them from above average on the dice roll to, you know, a pretty decent shot of failing. Um, and those auto wounds can be uh, can be brutal. Um, and the last thing uh, that they mentioned on it is uh, someone had asked them, like, how they get their data and where they take it from. They had mentioned that uh, they get their data from pretty much everywhere. They take take anything and everything in. Uh, that could be social media. They have internal play testers. They have uh, play, play testers that they invite um, and that they also get their data from tournaments. So... Um, you know, I think that's awesome that they're willing to take uh, all data. I mean, now granted, you know, I'm sure they take everything with a grain of salt, uh, especially, you know, social media, because um, 
I think everyone's guilty to it to at least a certain degree of, you know, encountering something that they see as a problem and just so happens that you just face that one situation where, you know, the dice just barely favored the unit when they were doing their stuff and they just, they seemed way better than they actually were. Um, and so that's why you kind of have to be careful when taking uh, data from really anyone, but especially social media. You know, we have so many people in our on the Facebook group that, you know, some people just, they, they get really emotional about, and I don't mean emotional like crying, but, you know, kind of fired up. Uh, when they encounter something that just kind of wrecked their face, and there could be a lot of different, uh, you know, factors. Could just be the list, uh, the one list was just had an uphill battle against another. Um, it could just, it could be dice rolls. It could be a lot of different things. And so I think it's awesome that they're they're proceeding with caution. You know, they're they're taking their time to really evaluate. Um, and sift through all the data uh, to find out what's what's like real, um, what's a real problem, and what needs tweaking, and what just might be someone overreacting or you know mis you know misconception of uh, how something's supposed to work. Um, what's your thoughts, Brett? Yeah, I I, I think they're well aware of it. Um, I think they do a really nice job with the balance in general. Um, and I, I think, I think you're right. Um, they're not just going to listen to whoever's shouting the loudest. Um, and they're not, and they're going to take everything with a grain of salt because whatever they see. And I know that, that when I was playtesting for them, this was something that we experienced. You know, we had several different groups within the playtesting group. And if group A said, okay, well, we playtested X unit and it definitely overperformed, here's the list that we ran it against. Well, then maybe group B's job is to, you know, see if they can build something that's either all comer or if they can build a hard counter that easily takes care of that. And then they kind of decide, you know, it's not going to be a case of, well, my, I ran, you know, um, an army of reavers, you know, I ran six reavers and I got destroyed by um, a unit of like two bastard girls and something else, you know, I don't know, some, some things just hard counter. And, and then, you know, they might say, well, my army of reavers got wiped out by this, so it needs nerfed. Uh, that's not really how it works. So um, they do a really good job of doing that. Fabio's got his finger on the pulse. And, yeah, they, they look at a lot. They look at a lot of data, and they're really involved in the community. So I, I think they're not clueless, and they're going to stress test something. Um, and I know that because I've experienced it. It's not just going to be a simple matter of OP because of this, this, and this. And then, you know, they might want to know, you know, why aren't you running this, this, and this? Because in in a two-list format, this could be a good counter to that, you know. So I think they do a pretty good job. And I'm, I'm glad that they get data from all over the world, all different sources, and they, they've definitely got their finger on the pulse, and they're, they're paying attention to a lot of stuff. So if, even if you're running little local events, you should definitely, you know, post that stuff on Facebook or post it in Discord, wherever, you know, the results people's lists that they were running 
whether you use the Song of Ice and Fire stats or you choose to do the old, you know, paper way of keeping track, just document those results and put them out there, and it'll just be another piece of data that they look at. Yeah, and I I always mention this, but I feel like it's important. You know, we have to remember that uh, Fabio and uh, Michael, they absolutely love this game, uh, and they're, you know, they want to see it succeed. You know, it's it's something where, you know, they're, it's not just some project to them that they just want to, you know, oh, there's another problem. All right, let's let's fix it. Okay, this looks good enough, and then just throws it out the door. You know, this is their baby. This is their their project. Their name is on it, and they want it to be the best that it can be. Um, <clears throat> some things will get through the cracks. It, I mean, it's basically inevitable that you know they are going to miss stuff because you know they could have so many playtesters play playing X number of games every single day, and that would amount to almost nothing in comparison to the number of games that the community can play in that same number of time, you know, or even a fraction of that time. Um, you know, so things are going to slip by. And I think it's, that's where updating, you know, every six to 12 months is awesome because, um, you know, if something slips by, the community will see it. We'll give them our data. They'll take our data. They'll assess it and they'll, uh, fix it. Um, now, that uh, that goes to say, you know, with the card packs kind of getting delayed and whatnot, it's a good thing that they're going to just, you know, even though the card packs are not, they're just going to proceed with the game because the, the health of the game is more important than making sure to wait for everyone to get a card pack that they may or may not even would have bought to begin with. Because uh, let's be honest, at this point, I mean, I'm willing to bet at least 90% of us all have the cards printed out. So really, it's just a, a luxury item, an item where we can say we have the physical product rather than something that we physically need to actually play. So, um, you know, with that said, I think uh, Simon is doing an awesome job, and it'll be awesome to see... Uh, if we can get like a timeline when uh, when these updates are due, I, if I'm willing to uh, guess, I'm guessing probably sometime mid November to uh, mid January is when we'll probably see these updates. But that's just because it's the holiday season, and you know I think uh, you know it'd probably be a great time to kind of throw some reveals out there. But we'll see. Um, Brett, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not 100% sure when their tentative release date for the, the update is. Um, I know that they're not taking it lightly, and I know that they're going to. I mean, they're going to test the crap out of it. Um, and yeah, like you said, you know, no matter what happens, um, and they've always said once it gets out into the community. Uh, and you go from, you know, 20 or 30 players to instantly thousands of players are able to do it, it's going to get worked way, 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 way faster. There's just no way. I mean, when I play tested, it took 
so many games over weeks and, and, and all of this just to really be able to stress test one unit in one particular build. So it's, it's not as easy as people think. It's really easy to be kind of like the, the armchair quarterback or the armchair judge or however you want to put it, you know, the person that's sitting at home and, you know, something's discovered and they're like, man, this is broken. But like, yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, this, that the stuff is really good. These combos exist and yeah, it can be oppressive, but at the same time, like it's really hard. So I just, uh, I give Simon a lot of credit for all of the balance patches they've done. They've always been a step, in the right direction um and they just keep getting better and better with every patch but you just have to appreciate that it's really difficult and a lot of this comes from you guys see one final version you know everybody sees a a final version but that doesn't tell you you know the 10 different ways that unit changed and was reworked and this was done and this was reworked before it finally landed on that version so it's easy to to pick it apart and say, uh, like, oh, well, Nightwatch is just stupid and, and everybody just dropped the ball. But I don't think that's a fair criticism because there were a lot of things that, you know, you guys didn't have to deal with that we that, that the playtesters at the time were able to identify before this 2021. And, and that's not even saying that, like, the designers did a bad job. It was just some stuff was really cool and it was really thematic and we really liked it, but it just translated badly into the game, and they took care of it. So it, I'm kind of of the opinion that if you want to criticize, at least make it some constructive criticism and at least give some credit where credit is due, um, because I think a lot of the, the loud voices that are yelling about the state of the game couldn't even come close to doing a better job themselves. So I guess that's probably kind of rude for me, but it's just one of those things that's been irking me since 2021 came out. You know, it's just, there's been a lot of shouting and it just kind of irks me because it's really easy to be judgmental when you weren't a part of the process. So that being said, they've given us an awesome game, no matter what you want to say about 2021, it's still really popular. I can go on TTS right now and find games. No problem. Uh, You can go to local stores and find games. It's still, by far the best war game I've ever played, even with its flaws. Yeah, I agree. And with that said, I'll close it out by doing another shout-out for the Gamers Haven tournament this Saturday, November 6th. Gamers Haven is in Ohio. Um, If you guys are not a part of the Gamer Haven uh, Discord, uh, or the Sunday Slaughter Discord, or the Small Council Radio Discord. I did uh, post a bunch of pictures in there of all the potential prize support, and uh, it's a ton of stuff. Like, it's a lot. So definitely, uh, if you're within, you know, driving distance, uh, consider going to that. Um, <clears throat> I will be there all day Friday and all day Saturday, uh, just getting games in, hanging out, and doing all that stuff. Um, I think it's like a six-hour drive for me, so it would definitely be awesome to see some of you guys there if you can make it. Again, it's going to be a ton of prize support. I think uh, um, I did do, give the disclaimer that I, I'm not giving it all away, but um, I am going to be giving a lot of it away uh, 
depending on the attendance, um, you know, everyone will walk away with something. Uh, I believe, um, let's see, I don't know, it was like something like uh, 20 unit boxes, uh, like 30 card packs, a bunch of different dice, a bunch of different tokens from um, Vampire Creations, uh, amazing amazing uh, product, um, some uh, rule, uh, measuring uh, sticks, you know, 6 and 12 inch, tons of stuff, like a load of prize support. Um, so definitely, uh, if you're not a part of any of those discords, you could definitely check those out. You'll be able to scroll up a little bit and find the images, but uh, it should be an awesome time. So, um, you know, you can find the sign-up on a song of ice and fire stats.com. That's where you can sign up. I believe it's only a $15 entry, so not much at all. And, uh, you know, it should be a lot of fun. So definitely check that out. Um, also, with that said, uh, another shout-out I want to do is to Sunday Slaughter. Uh, Sunday Slaughter does batter reports and uh, a podcast. If you're looking for another podcast or uh, arguably the best uh, battle reports out there. Um, definitely check out their content, a lot, as well as so many other great content creators uh, that are doing work out there for the game uh, to keep it going uh, while things start to kind of open back up and, you know, get back to normal. Um, with that said, uh, do you have any uh, shout-outs? Um, actually, not anything out of the ordinary. Um, I think LVO, Las Vegas Open, I think they had said that they have like two spots left. Um, I know I will be there. My plane ticket is paid for. I have paid for my Airbnb. I know that, uh, John Hurley is coming. Uh, Sean Beck is coming. And I think a couple of other indie guys are actually making the trip as well. Uh, I know Clarence Ariakis from Canada plans to be there. And I think Carlo from A Song of Ice and Fire Stats plans to be there as well. So there's only two spots. I know, I don't know exactly what Carl Kirsten from West Coast Bannerman's uh, affiliation is with LVO, but he seems to be at least somewhat intimately involved. So, and I know he's really pumped and excited about it. I'm super excited about it. Um, I hope that we've got an update before December 31st so we can get a fresh new kind of patch and meta, and, and uh, maybe this will be like the maiden voyage for it. But I am super pumped about LVO. But, um, you know, kind of just in general, as I said, um, if you're playing games, there's always the option to uh, join a Song of Ice and Fire staff, create a profile, and help plug in some of that information to their databank. Um, there's tons of tournaments going on there all the time uh, for the digital side of this game. There's a lot of data there for you to use and collect. Um, I think they have done a really nice job of compiling that that data and, and, and doing this for a really long time. Um, and they really have enabled the tabletop simulator scene, which got us through this shutdown. So... Um, there's that, and if you are doing an event, even if it's a local event, you can register it there. 
Uh, like I said, if you want to go the route of using the old paper style and you want to do it that way, you still want to get those games recorded somehow and, and put it into the, uh, the cloud of information where, where CMON can pull that data from your tournament. So if you share it to Facebook or Discord or wherever, they're definitely interested in seeing what's winning, and then they're able to start stress testing that stuff to see if it's worth taking a look at for a future balance patch. So anything, anytime you play and put your list and your data out there publicly, no matter what, no matter how you choose to do that, I think ultimately it's, it's helpful. Whether they specifically look at your game or not, you're making that information available to them, and they are very reliant on a lot of community feedback. So, um, you know, keep it positive, keep it nice. Um, don't go in there screaming and ranting and raving because they probably won't read it. But um, just submit the facts for what they are and share your experience. And ultimately, everybody who's listening, we want to continue to grow and push this game. We want this game to be as big and as successful as it can be because ultimately that's good for everyone. Awesome. All right. So, excuse me. So, with that said, we're going to wrap it up there. You know, I appreciate all you guys listening in. Uh, this one actually took a bit longer than I thought it would. You know, looking at uh, what we had to talk about, I, I thought for sure it was only going to be like an hour, but there's just uh, so much to cover. And, you know, I cannot wait. Uh, so many awesome units uh, that are already confirmed, a lot that are, you know, were kind of leaked a little early and so on. Uh, I can't wait to get my hands on all that stuff. Um and then, you know, again, stay tuned uh, for our next show. I'm not 100% sure when that will be. I think it might be this uh, coming Sunday. Uh, but I will discuss with our uh, co-hosts when, uh, when we're available to do another show. But um, for those that don't already know, we do our show live. Uh, that doesn't mean you can call in. There should be a call in or a connect uh, when you click on the link. Uh, and we do our best, uh, you know, anyone who calls in will, you know, have them jump on to kind of give their thoughts. If you jump on that way, you don't don't feel obligated. I will, I usually screen the calls to see if you want to come on or not. Um, but we're always open for people to kind of jump on and give their thoughts on it. You know, that's kind of why we do the format this way. Um, we also do it this way because it's pretty convenient for uploads to all the different uh, uh, platforms that we're on. You know, we're on uh, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Google Play, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podtail, Alltail, and Podbay. And, uh, you know, and if there's another platform that we're not on that you would like us to be on, just uh, let us know and we'll uh, add it to our list because uh, we're not really concerned where you guys listen to us at. You know, we're just trying to get our show out there and, you know, provide you guys with uh, content um, for the game. Um, you know, number one thing you can do to show your support for our channel, just, uh, you know, like, share, or follow us on any of the platforms that you use to listen to our show. Go on Facebook, uh, like our page there, uh, and, you know, that's what you can do to help us out. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this show. With that said, this is a small council radio, and it is dismissed. <laughs>